another design. For some reason, that one down there is Yeah. 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 Yeah.
Tim matches my pajamas. Oh, 
So, uh, one thing I do want to tell you is don't forget next Saturday, no, not next Saturday, the following Saturday, two weeks on Saturday, I'll get that right, is the crosswalk. That's coming up. You'll hear more about it, but it's really important. There is some information online, uh, some information available to you uh, in the hall, whatever. Just, just make sure you know what's going on so you don't miss it, but that's going to be a really cool time, and we already know. We already know that there's going to be some folks traveling, but we're, the rest of us are going to draw together and honor the Lord with a big crosswalk in the community and children's activities on Saturday, and then a special service on Sunday, including brunch. It's going to be a really important time, a really fun time to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, which we do every Sunday, but we're glad to do it, especially at Easter time. Okay? Now, for today, real quick, just to kind of let you know how it's going to go today, we're, our services today are largely focusing on the relationship between Jesus Christ and his church. 
which is then uh, exposed and mirrored and shown by the relationship between a man and a woman in marriage. And so we're going to talk about relationships a lot today by the time we're done. And our, our music portion of our service will be a little shorter than normal. We'll see it go by quickly. We will not have our normal inspirational moment time. And we'll go to the message. And then at the end today, the children's leaders and all the children will come back in the room. And we're having a special revow service where Michael and Jamie Brister will be renewing their wedding vows in front of us. And then also uh, we'll have an opportunity to make a commitment at that time as well. So it's going to go by. Uh, about in the normal total amount of time because we've shortened up the kind of the front end a little bit. But for those of you who are not always here, you know, it's a little different today. And so just kind of go along for the ride, enjoy yourself, worship the Lord, and learn as the Lord speaks to you. We really come together to honor God and then also to hear from the Lord. Okay? And so he has some powerful things to say to us. And we'll, we'll, during the message time, for example, we'll look at quite a bit of scripture. And so as we do that, you, could, you may go off on a tangent and say, yeah, Pastor Dan's talking about this, but the Lord is really talking to my heart about this. And that's okay, because we really come together today to honor the Lord and hear from Him today. And that's what's most important, okay? So that we may all reach new heights in Jesus while we're gathered. So we're going to pray together at this time, jump back into worship. On the release of the children, to the children's workers and the children, they will actually go out on Adonai, which will be after our offering time, okay? So I know... Um, just a few songs away, so be ready for that. And uh, on Adonai, we'll be releasing the children. Let's pray together, and then we'll jump back into worship. Father in heaven, we do praise you and thank you for a beautiful day. It's so easy to be excited about being alive on a day with bright sunshine and fresh air and freedom such as it has, such as we, such as we have it. Lord, we're blessed to be in this place. And we want to praise you for all of that. At the same time, Lord, we confess to you that we have had our weaknesses, we have made our mistakes, and even today, probably, we have done things that did not honor you, and we ask your forgiveness, and we're grateful that it's available through Jesus, your Son. Lord, we confess to you our need for wisdom today. We come to you to worship you, to recognize this much we know. You are an awesome God. You are the creator God. You are powerful and there. But then, Lord, we have to figure out what that means for us. What are we supposed to do about it? And so we're asking you for wisdom today. We entreat you to speak to our hearts. Thank you for this place. As you provided everything that's here, you provided the chairs and the carpeting and the light and the walls and, and certainly the bodies and the people, the instruments, the skills, and I hope the desire to hear from you. You've provided it all, and we thank you for it. We ask you to take over our time today. It's kind of silly for us to pray that you want to be with us because you want to be with us. It's kind of silly for us to pray, Lord, take care of us, because you want to take care of us. But those things we do pray, we ask you, Lord, to be with us and take care of us in such a way that we know that it's happening, that we can hear from you, that we can experience your presence, that you can show us, open our eyes, that we may see that you are for us, and that you can maybe turn our hearts a little bit so we can be for ourselves, so that we can do what's right, we can do what's best, and reach new heights in Jesus the way you would show us to do so. Bless each note, each instrument, each instrumentalist, each voice. And for the one you cannot sing today, for whatever reason, we pray that you'll break them out, break them free, and help them to praise your holy name. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you very much. Would you stand with us if you're willing and able to do so on this next song? Please stand with us and praise the Lord. Don't miss this opportunity to give glory to God.
together. We won't really look at it at this time. We want to look at it and meditate think about it as we take up our offertory to do that. And I'm going to ask Brother Ron Mack. Brother Ron, I know you're dealing with whatever back there. Go ahead. You're good now? Would you pray for the offertory this time? Please? Lord, Father in heaven, thank you so much for the privilege and honor of being here in your house today, Lord. God, I thank you for the beautiful weather outside. I thank you for all the blessings the mighty things you've done in our lives and the, the lives of the people of this body and all the lives of the visitors that are here today, Lord, for the first time. God, I pray that you'll move in us, that you'll be, uh, that your presence will be felt here amongst us today, that we would see Michael and Jamie renew their vows before you today, and that you would strengthen and bless their marriage for the rest of the life to come until they come to see you, Lord, in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Bless us. These ties and offerings, may they be used for your will and your honor. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.
While we're settling, I want to tell you, if you are a version user, if you use the Bible app version, the notes for this sermon are on your app under events. If you look at New Heights Fellowship Baptist Church, you can find the notes, on the, which means all the Bible verses will be there if you happen to be somebody that does that, okay? Um, I am. I just gave it a try. I'm pretty excited about it. It was kind of neat. So I don't know that we'll do it every time, but that would be kind of cool. Okay, so have you ever seen one of those little... Um, I don't know, would you call them charms, lockets, pendants, whatever, and you have a chain, 
and on the chain is a half heart, and then it's broken, and maybe it says I love you or something like that, and then somewhere there's another chain with the other half of the heart, and you're supposed to like give it to your spouse or give it to your boyfriend or girlfriend, probably more likely we did that when we were teenagers or whatever, but um, maybe you like that kind of thing. And so you fit them together and it makes a heart, right? If you see just one chain and one half of the heart with the broken part down and you can kind of sort of see the words, you can tell that it's a heart, right? Even though you only see half, you can still sort of tell that it's a heart and that somewhere there must be another half a heart to put together with that and make the whole picture. And you might even be able to kind of tell that it says, I love you or, you know, my special loved one or whatever. The, the, you can kind of tell what the words are even though you can't see exactly what it is. So from one half of the heart, if you will, you can, you can picture what the other half must look like and then picture what the whole thing looks like together. Unfortunately, marriage is like that, but also not at all like that, okay? So, for example, we know growing up that maybe there is someone for us, and um, we have a kind of a feeling that that's true, and maybe even kind of a beginning of a thought of what that might, a person might be like because of who we are, and then when you put yourself together with that other person, you kind of have a just a dream, a hope of what it might be like to be together with that other person. But when we look at that pendant, we can see, I mean, that's clearly a half a heart. Yep, that's a half a heart. No one's thinking, yeah, maybe it could be half a triangle. Now, everyone knows that's half a heart, right? Well, when we look at marriage, we just have a sort of a hope and a dream what it might be like, and then we've really lost the image of what it's supposed to be. So what we're going to do today in the sermon, and I... I don't apologize for this, but I want you to know in advance, there's a lot of scripture, and so I won't be able to break down every phrase or every word that we see, but I'm just going to kind of be explaining the overall meaning and what we need to understand from it as we go through them. Normally, for those of you who are not totally familiar with my style of preaching, what I usually do is I read the verses and we break through, we'll break down each word and place and talk about history and background like that as we go, but if you're, you won't see that as much today because we have a lot of scripture to cover. So we're going to take the image of marriage as it began, if you will. And so as you can imagine, we're going to start in the Garden of Eden, right? So we're going to start in Genesis chapter 2. And so when we get there, we'll take the image, and then we're going to follow the image as man has proceeded from our side through to what it's supposed to be present day. You follow? That's what we're going to do. And so... If that doesn't necessarily, if any one of the verses that we read doesn't necessarily apply to you, you're not married or you're not thinking about ever being married, you're hoping, praying to God that you never will be married, then I hope that you will still learn about, as the verses teach us, about the relationship between God and the church, between Jesus Christ and his church, and then also between you and Jesus Christ. Okay, so there's still a ton to be learned there, so don't tune out just because we're talking about relationships if you're not in one. Certainly if you're not in one, but might one day be, and if you're hoping and praying that God keeps you forever out of one, then still don't turn out. Look at what we're talking about here because there's valuable, valuable information to be gleaned, and I think the Lord can really talk to our hearts. All right, so if you're with me and you got a little amen or hoot or holler, get excited, I'm, I'm asking you to do that as we go to Genesis chapter 2. Thank you very much. We now focus ourselves on this text and allow ourselves to be spoken to in our hearts, our souls transformed by the writing, written word of God. Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse 20. I am reading from the New American Standard Version of the Bible. So if you have that, you will have the exact words I have. And if you don't, you'll have very, very similar, but the meaning will be the same. Genesis chapter 2, beginning verse 20. The man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. 
So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman or womb man because she was taken out of man. We're not going to emphasize that heavily, but I want you to see there that the word woman is essentially womb man. And so, ironically, we always talk about that because we say the woman has a womb and will be suitable for bearing children. But I want you to actually understand that the man was the womb of the woman. It also means that. She was taken out of man. Okay? So that means that it, uh, it is both. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called womb man because she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. Now this is the picture then. This is the way God made it. And when God made everything, everything that God made, he looked at it and he said it was good ultimately. And at first he said it is not good for Adam to be alone and so he made Eve. But now he looks at everything and he says everything is good. So God made this good. So if we could have this type of relationship between man and woman, we could have this type of marriage, that would be good because God said that's good. But guess what? We don't have that. But this gives us a picture of what it was first supposed to be like. This is exactly how God intended for them to be together. Even though this picture is lost forever, we can now take this picture and traverse from the intention of what God originally made through the incidents to the best possible outcome. Whatever has happened between there and now, we can get the best possible outcome now by looking at what that was, altered through the various incidents of time, and then try to recapture as much of it as we possibly can. You see, that they understood that God made them. I hope you understand today that God made you, that God made all people, that God made the universe, that God is the creator of God. People want to bicker over it, argue, I get that. But the truth is that even among scientists, who some people don't believe it, when they take a good hard look at creation, they say there must have been an intelligent designer. The Bible explains who that intelligent designer is. Okay? And so you can take it or leave it, Adam and Eve knew that God had created them. They intellectually knew that, but then as we're going to see in the next passage of Scripture, their actions didn't line up with that truth. They were literally of each other. Now, this is a physical truth in their case. The bone taken out of Adam becomes Eve. Um, and so they were literally of each other, but they existed that way. They were unashamed. Now, we think unashamed, and it's in the context of they were walking around naked together, and so it's unashamed, and we know that we feel shame at times in dealing with our naked bodies, um, so much so that we don't want to go on TV naked or anything like that. If you do, uh, you probably, probably ought to see somebody about that problem. But the point is, they, they, they were unashamed, but they were not only unashamed of their nakedness and could see each other, but on top of that, they were unashamed of their relationship with God. They were unashamed of their place in creation. They were unashamed of who they were. They were unashamed. And then they were free and in relationship with God. That's how God created them. Now, things go terribly wrong. If you're following along, go to Genesis chapter 3, 6 to 8 says... When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, now they were all good for food, but she looked at that particular tree and said it's good for food, and it was a delight to the eyes, and they probably all were a delight to the eyes, and that that tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate, and she gave also to her husband with her. And those two little words there are two of the most powerful words in the Bible about marriage and really about the dare I say it, stupidity, ignorance, laziness of men. And it doesn't say anything about women. It's talking about the stupidity, ignorance, and laziness of Adam, who stood right there and allowed the serpent to tempt his wife, and she ate, and then she said, oh yeah, here you go. 
And it says, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day and the man and his woman hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. This fall, as it has been termed, damaged the image of the relationship with each other and with God. So now there is shame. You know, this is a horrible day because and I'm going to be completely transparent here, when you're in a proper marriage relationship, you like your wife's naked body. Amen. When you're in a proper relationship, you like your husband's naked body. Amen. And now Adam doesn't get to see Eve's naked body anymore. And Eve doesn't get to see Adam's naked body anymore because now there is shame and issue in the relationship. Now the truth is that sex and all things sex have a proper place inside marriage and we see that the world is trying to subvert that. And so even when I talk about somebody's naked body, he's like, oh, Pat's talking about naked body. He's just trying to get the ratings up. No, this has nothing to do with that. This is what Scripture talks about. And because they were now in shame, they now had that. I remember the first day I ever saw, I ever walked out naked in front of my wife. I was like scared half to death. Why? That's not appropriate inside marriage, but our marriage was not right at that time. It wasn't a godly marriage, and so those were the issues. And so now Adam and Eve have these issues. They're, notice that they're not only ashamed of each other's naked bodies, but on top of that, they're ashamed of their relationship with God. They hide amongst the trees. And they now have a different relationship with creation where they were tending the trees before, and now they're using the trees to cover up their nakedness. Everything has changed in that moment. The fall damaged the image of the relationship with each other and with God. They were no longer free and in relationship with, with God. They now were ashamed. Now, I want you to see that they still knew God made them. They still knew that they had been made for a right relationship with God, but they were not living in it by their actions, right? Their actions were contrary to what they knew mentally. Anybody ever know that? Anybody ever see that in anybody you've known? Ever see that in yourself? I know what's true. I know what I'm supposed to do, but I'm not doing it. Right? That's where it was with Adam and Eve. And so now, in Genesis 3, 16 through 23, to the woman, God says, now this is part of the passage of Scripture, the results of the fall. So you can say that the things that God is about to say, that they happened because of the choice that she made, or you can say they happened because of what God said. Now, understand that that's not, it really doesn't matter. Right? Whether God is saying this is what happened, or whether God is saying this is the way it is, and he's laying it down for the first time as a law, either way, it's the way it is, right? So here's what he says. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain, you will bring forth children, yet your desire will be for your husband. And that picture there of desire is not lust, it is control. So the word there is talking about desiring to control a thing. So she will desire to control her husband, and he will rule over you. So this is the way God said it will be now. She will desire to control her husband, and he will rule over her. Then to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you. And you will eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face. You will eat bread. Now, they're going to work all day long, and it's going to be hard work. But previously they worked all day long. But when they worked all day long, the, free, the, the fruits of the trees of the garden was good, right? Now they're going to work all day long and sometimes get thorns and thistles. So there's a, it's a bad situation here. We're taking that good, powerful thing that was work and turning it into a bad thing. And you will eat, or at least the results, into a bad thing. And you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you will eat bread till you return to the ground. Because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Now the man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all the living. 
The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Notice that death has now come into creation and that these dead animals now will clothe Adam and Eve. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, and now he might stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. See, that was still possible to live forever in this fallen state if he had taken of the tree of the knowledge of, or, of, the tree of life. But God didn't want to let that happen because the state that they're in was not the state that they were created in. It's not good now. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. Man would now slave away. It's not more work. He worked all day long for six days and they would still honor the Sabbath. It's not more work than before, but it's, a, it's different primarily because man had brought about a curse on the land. Woman would always struggle to try to control man. That's what God said. Now, again, whether you think that's the result of the sin or God's edict, either way, when God says something, that's the way it is. So either way, that's the way it's going to be. Woman would always struggle to try to control man. But man would always be in charge of the relationship. This is the way God set it up. This is not the ideal. This is not God saying, if you want all things to go well, this is the way it's going to be. This is, going to say, this is God saying, this is now the way it's going to be because of the fall, because of the sin, because of the failure. Okay, So it's not ideal, it is the result. God said it would be this way as a result of the sin. This had a purpose to, the, to point toward the ultimate renewal of God. And I'm going to stop here for a second. God gave them this order inside the marriage, and this is the way it would be, because ultimately God was going to set up a marriage at which he wants them present. So when someone gets married and they commit themselves to one another, people come, and they come for a variety of reasons. Some people come because they want cake. <laughs> They're going to eat cake afterwards. Okay? Those people don't really get a blessing except for they get cake. Right? Some people come because they want to see the spectacle. There's going to be pretty colors. Let's see what colors they chose. And let's hear the music and let's participate. And won't it be wonderful? And they come and they get the spectacle. That's what they get. They, they go, you know, man, she should have really chosen pink instead of purple or whatever. And, and you hear them when they walk out. And, and so, but some people come for the purpose that marriage services were actually, which was to honor the marriage bed. They come to recognize the marriage. They come to support the couple in marriage. They come to support God's work in the couple and all of that. Some people come for the right reasons. And that's what God wants when that marriage at the end of time happens. He wants people to be able to come for the right reason. And so from the beginning in the garden, we now see God is setting up the possibility, if you will, of inviting people to this wedding feast that will happen, this one wedding will happen. And he's going to give marriage as, an, uh, as a new construct, if you will, in this way, to point forward to that place at which you can come to be married for the right reason. If you come to be married for the right reason and experience marriage for the right reason, then ultimately you can come to that marriage and realize just how important and how powerful and what has actually happened there. See, God is giving them this method to get to there. The purpose was to point toward the ultimate renewal of God. Go forward. We're still following how men have understood marriage. Go forward in your Bible to the book of Numbers. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Okay, so four books into chapter 30. You've got time to flip there if you don't get there before I start reading because it's 16 verses long. Okay, Numbers chapter 30, beginning in verse 1. Numbers chapter 30, beginning in verse 1. Then Moses spoke to the head of the tribes of the sons of Israel. So that's to tell you the time period that we're talking about. Okay, Moses is leading the Israelites, and it's in that time period before they're going into the promised land after Egypt. 
Then Moses spoke to the head of the tribes of the sons of Israel, saying, This is the word which the Lord has commanded. If a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to bind himself with a binding obligation, he shall not violate his word. What you say, you do. Period. And if you don't, it is God that will back it up. Your words now are a covenant between you and God. That's what he's saying. If a man makes a vow to the Lord to take an oath to bind himself with a binding obligation, he shall not violate his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. So you say to God, God, I'm going to do this, and you should do that. If it kills you, you should do that. Also, if a woman makes a vow to the Lord, this is where it gets interesting. If a woman makes a vow to the Lord and binds herself by an obligation in her father's house in her youth. So she's living in her father's house under her father's rule. If she makes a binding obligation... And her father hears her vow and her obligation by which she has bound herself. And her father says nothing to her. Then all her vows shall stand and every obligation by which she has bound herself shall stand. She has to follow what she said. But if her father should forbid her on the day that he hears of it. Now that might not even be the day that she made the vow. He might not hear about it for a week, a month, or a year. But if as soon as he hears about it, if he should forbid her, none of her vows or her obligations by which she has bound herself shall stand. He is her protector. The father is the protector of the woman. And the Lord will forgive her because her father had forbidden her to keep her obligation. So the forgiveness is tied up in the father says, no, I just heard about this. She promised that. That's not going to happen. He says, no, the, the vow is broken and God forgives her immediately for making a vow that she never should have made. Verse 6, however, if she should marry while under her vows or the rash statement of her lips by which she has bound herself and her husband hears it. So now we're talking about when she is married and she's with her husband. And if he hears it, of it and says nothing to her on the day he hears it, so we're substituting the husband for the father, then her vows shall stand and her obligations by which she has bound herself shall stand. But if on the day her husband hears of it, he forbids her, then he shall annul her vow which she is under and the rash statement of her lips by which she has bound herself and the Lord will forgive her. So this is Moses' idea. Now, don't, don't get all upset, okay? Ladies, don't get all upset that your, your rights are being taken away. But this is Moses' understanding of how this is going to work. That if the, if the man, sa she says, I'll be there at nine. And the man says, no, you won't. And he calls him and he says, I'm sorry, she won't be there at nine. She said she would, but we have other plans. That nulls her vow and her obligation. Now, if she says she's going to be there at nine, and he says, hmm. Maybe he gets mad, goes in the kitchen, throws some pots and pans around, but he doesn't say anything to her about it. Now, her obligation is to do exactly what she said because he didn't stop it. Right? And by the way, if he stops it, then for breaking her vow, according to Moses, this is all according to Moses, for breaking her vow, she is forgiven of God for making a vow and then having break, broken it, right? Follow all that? And then her husband fills that role once she is married. Verse 9, the vow of a widow of a, or of a divorced woman, so this might apply to some, the vow of a widow or of a divorced woman, everything by which she has bound herself shall stand against her. In other words, you don't have a husband anymore. You don't go back to your father. You now, what you say, you do. However, she vowed in her husband's house and bound herself by an obligation with an oath and her husband heard it but said nothing to her and did not forbid her, then all her vows shall stand and every obligation by which she bound herself shall stand. So if there is a husband in the picture and the husband doesn't speak up, the vow stands. But if her husband indeed annuls them on the day he hears them, regardless of how long that might be, then whatever proceeded out, proceeds out of her mouth concerning her vows or concerning the obligation of herself shall not stand. So he disavowed, he said no, 
and it doesn't stand. Her husband has annulled them, and the Lord will forgive her. Every vow and every binding oath to humble herself, her husband may confirm it, or her husband may annul it. But if her husband indeed saith nothing to her from day to day, in other words, if he gets in the habit of just sitting back and saying nothing and she's going about her business, then he confirms all her vows or all her obligations which are on her. He has confirmed them because he said nothing to her on the day he heard them. But if he indeed annuls them after he has heard them, then he shall bear her guilt. So he lets it go at first, but then later comes back and says no. So let's take an example of tithing. She says, we're going to tithe. And he says, yeah. But then later he makes it so that she can't. He's going to be responsible because he annulled her vow after initially letting it go. And this is what it said. we start at 15 again. But if he indeed annuls them after he has heard them, then he shall bear her guilt. These are the statutes which the Lord commanded Moses. Remember who originated that. God gave them. The Lord commanded Moses. As between a man and his wife, and as between a father and his daughter, while she is still in her youth in her father's house. Now, a man had immense responsibility in this, and is plagued by the same irresponsibility that Adam had. In their day, they were really, this is about men being too stupid, too ignorant, or too lazy to speak up and be part of the marriage relationship. Right? This is about the man just laying back. If you're a man who just lays back, you've got a real problem. Because is your wife perfect? No. You may think of her as perfect, and probably you should. That would be great. But if you think of her as perfect, then when she makes a mistake, and you're supposed to bear those burdens with her, and you're not there, you're going to bear every one of those burdens yourself. The Lord God is going to say to you, you allowed that commitment to be made. Now you're not making it happen. You're not making sure that it happened, and now it's your responsibility. She gets forgiveness when she makes a commitment and on the, as soon as you hear about it, you stop it, she gets forgiveness. But if you lay back and do nothing, now both of you are obligated and you're not carrying out your obligations. So you not only you get it for breaking the obligation, you get it for dis- dishonoring God, for making a commitment and not keeping it. Man has been given immense responsibility at this point in the story and he's plagued by the same irresponsibility that Adam had. A tendency to say nothing or to fail to show up and be a part of the relationship. Now, once, when Adam did it, we might even kind of give him a little bit of grace and say, you know, he was innocent in a sort. He was, you know, he was just, he thought everything was fine, whatever. You might make some kind of excuses for him, but he was right there when the serpent was saying, hey. He was right there when he was taking the fruit down off the tree. And it was a split second later when she handed it to him. So I don't know how much innocence we can actually give him. Because her actions certainly didn't say that they had a relationship with God, certainly didn't recognize that God had made them, and he was allowing it to happen. So he was just as guilty as she was. In any case, now it will be without no, no forgiveness, no break. There's no innocence. This is laid down. Moses said it clearly. They've got to do it. And we've seen it. It's in our Bibles. We've got to do it. There's no excuse. Now go, go forward a little bit more to Malachi chapter 2. We're going to Malachi chapter 2, so you're going to get into the prophets, and then basically Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. And he was the last prophet, pretty much the last prophet to speak before Jesus. Malachi chapter 2, verses just 14 and 15. This is what Malachi said to the men of Israel, who now long been settled in the land and, having all, and, and doing lots of things they shouldn't do, but in particular, he's going to talk about one thing. Verse 14 says, Malachi 2, 14 says, Yet you say, for what reason? And he's asking, why is God upset with us? Why is God cursing us? Why is not God not blessing us? 
He says, because the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth against whom you have dealt treacherously, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. But no one has done, has done so who has a remnant of the Spirit. You follow? So now, through the prophet Malachi, God is pointing to someone who should never deal treacherously with their wife. And that is someone who is a remnant of the Spirit. And we have much more than just a remnant. If we are saved, we belong to Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit is in us. But no one has dealt treacherously, to just bring that phrase forward to this sentence, no one has dealt treacherously with the wife of their youth if they have a remnant of the Spirit. And what did that one do while he was speaking, while he was seeking a godly offspring? Hold on a second. Verse 15. But no one has done so who has a remnant of the Spirit. And what did that one do while he was seeking a godly offspring? Take heed then to your spirit and let no one deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. Man is still doing the same things all the way forward into Malachi. All the way into Malachi, men of his day were doing the same thing. They're dealing treacherously with their wives. It's clear that man will suffer in his relationship with God if he does not honor his relationship with his wife. You understand? If you don't take care of your wife, if you don't step up and participate in your relationship, if you don't hold up your end of the deal, then it's not just between you and her, it's between you and God. And listen, these were just men who had covenanted. These were not Christian marriages. These were not marriages before the Lord God asking God to do whatever. These were just covenant marriages following the traditions of Israel. And God says, because you have a covenant marriage with this woman, of your wife of your youth, and you've dealt treacherously with her, now there is a barrier between you and me. And so, man was still doing the same thing, still messing up marriage, if you will. It's clear that man will suffer in his relationship with God because of this. It's also clear that those who have a remnant of God's Spirit will not deal treacherously with their spouse. And I want to say that because it is the same for the woman, right? If it's the Holy Spirit that is an indicator that you will not deal treacherously with your wife, then it's the Holy Spirit that is an indicator you will not deal treacherously with your husband. It's the same. God has a purpose in that. And it is a purpose to show the marriage between Jesus and his church and to take us there. And we're going to see that next, okay? And so now we're going to move into the New Testament, Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19, beginning in verse 3. So Matthew chapter 19, beginning in verse 3 says, Some Pharisees came to Jesus, testing him and asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? And he answered and said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command to give her a certificate of divorce and send her away? And remember those, that reading that we had back there from the book of Numbers, that was Moses from God, but Moses in the picture of marriage and the, how it had metamorphed in their day, right? So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. That's what Jesus says. Then they said to him, why then did Moses command to give her a certificate of divorce and send her away? He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning, it has not been this way. See, the image remains. The image is the same. The desire that God has for marriage is the same 
through Numbers, through Malachi, through Jesus, and to today. So he's saying it has not been this way since the beginning, but because you altered or you have experienced an altered version of marriage, which largely has to do with the fall and everything that has happened since, because of that, God, Moses, permitted you to divorce your wives. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for immor immorality, meaning if she is sinful, wicked, doing wrong, and not having anything to do with what her husband wants, and he is trying to follow the Lord and she is not, anyone who divorces his wife, except for immorality, and marries another woman, commits adultery. God has not freed you from that marriage until the immorality is present in the woman. That's what God says to the man. The disciples said to him, if the relationship of the man with his wife is like this, it is better not to marry. In other words, this is hard. And I get it. And some of you who are divorced understand marriage is hard. Okay. Now at times, it's more difficult than at other times. But the point, the reason it's so hard is because of what we're learning and what, we're, what it, the attempt was to depict. Okay. So he says, I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for immorality and marries another woman, commits adultery. The disciples said to him, if the relationship of the man with his wife is like this, it is better not to marry. But he said to them, not all men can accept this statement, but only those to whom it has been given. So in other words, there are those who can be married and there are those who cannot be married. He says in verse 12, for there are eunuchs, that's those who are basically celibate and, and oftentimes maybe for a physical reason, but they just, or, or they just chose to be. For there are eunuchs who were born that way from their mother's womb. In other words, they will never be married. There is a class of people, I think it's a smaller percentage, but there's a class of people who will never be married. And there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men. They were made so they could never be married, and that means probably they were emasculated or, or physically altered. There are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men. And there are also eunuchs who made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. In other words, there are those who give up marriage. They are no longer married for the sake of the kingdom of heaven, to draw close to God. Okay? So, not that you can get divorced for that reason, except in the case of immorality, but if you've not been married, you can choose not to be married and, to, and do that for the kingdom of God. It's, again, a smaller group of people, but it is, Jesus said some people like that exist. He was able to accept this, let him accept it. So with all this pressure, marriage is still for some people. There are some people who are still supposed to be in marriage and have the right kind of a relationship, but for, it's, there are some who are not, right? It is easy to think that it's too hard. Marriage is too hard. It's just not worth it. However, God has made some who can abide by the leadership of the Lord in this and ultimately in all things, and they shall be called his people. Remember that those who have a remnant of the Spirit have never dealt treacherously with their spouse. And so if you dealt treacherously with your spouse, you might want to ask where you're at in your relationship with God, because where was the Holy Spirit while that was happening? I hope you've repented and turned back to God if that happened. With all this pressure, marriage is still for some. It's easy to think that it's too hard. However, God has made some who can abide by the leadership of the Lord in this and ultimately in all things, and they shall be called his people. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is next. We're getting close. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is next. Verse 2. 1 Corinthians 7, 2. Now, this one's a little tougher in some ways. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 2. Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. And he says, But because of immoralities, meaning because of sins, and we could be pointing to sexual sin, lust, things like that. Because of immoralities, each man is to have his own wife. 
That sounds a little bit like a command. It's close. And so, obviously there are those who are not supposed to get married, but for those who are not amongst that small class of people who are never supposed to get married, Paul writes, you're supposed to have your own wife. And each woman is to have her own husband. You're supposed to have your own husband. The husband must fulfill his duty to his wife. And likewise, also the wife to her husband. And in case you want to be uh, drawing certain lines in the sand as to where that duty stops, he gets a little bit literal here. He says, the wife does not have authority over her own body. But the husband does. And likewise, also, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. So if I can step on your toes for a minute, this at least means you cannot deny your spouse sex. It also means you cannot push your spouse for sex when they don't want it. It's like an impasse, isn't it? Because your body belongs to her, her body belongs to you. Your body belongs to him, his body belongs to you. It's going to require some communication. It's going to require some struggling. You're going to want what you want, and you're going to have to put your wants on the table and explain exactly where you are. You have to use words, talk. Men, you have to open your mouths and explain. But because of immoralities, each man is to have his own wife. Sounds a little bit like a command. Marriage is a solution to some sin. A lot of sin, in fact. Marriage is a solution to some sin. Marriage is a safe place to enjoy intimacy of all kinds. Done correctly, this is what ends shame as a motivator. When your wife would never tell you, would never ever tell you no in anything, is a great builder for your self-esteem. When your husband would never ever tell you no in anything, that's a great builder for your self-esteem. Now, when you're wrong, you're wrong. When you're asking for something you shouldn't have, that's, then it's their job to help you see that, right? You've got to work together. There's got to be a developing unity. More than a developing unity, really. Something has to be developing out of the unity that you say you already have. Done correctly, this ends shame as a motivator. Not just shame as a motivator between the man and the woman, but shame as a motivator between, because now the man is comfortable with his place in the world. She is comfortable with her place in the world. Both the man and the woman are comfortable with their place with God if their marriage is right in all things, including submitting their body to their spouse, submitting their finances to their spouse, to submitting their health to their spouse. If you learn to be obedient to your spouse, you can be obedient to God. If you cannot be obedient to the one who is with you and, see and says they love you and is standing for you and is supposed to honor the one that frankly is you, right? If you can't be obedient to the woman that is you, Men, how are you going to be obedient to God that is not you? And frankly, if you deal treacherously with your spouse, then there is no Holy Spirit in you and the miracle is lost. Look at Ephesians 5. Look at Ephesians 5, verse, beginning in verse 23. <coughs> Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife. Now that's, that reminds us of what God said in Genesis 3, right? And also what Moses wrote in Numbers 3. 30. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. Now that's a qualifier. That tells you how he is the head of the wife. He himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be 
to their husbands in everything. Christ is our leader. Wives, your husband is your leader. That sounds simple. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. So everything you want, all your desires, your physical well-being, all your money, all your everything is on the table to take care of her, to nurture and cherish her, just as Jesus puts everything on the table to take care of and nurture the church. When I look at this relationship, I, I say, I, I can see how it ought to always be the man that dies first. Without exception. The relationship that's just given there, die for your wife. It ought to always be the man that dies first. It isn't. But it, I mean, and there are things that can happen, obviously. But generally speaking, it ought to always be the man. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Big word, everything. Verse 26, So that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, that he might present himself, the church, in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. This is the job of the man for the wife that he provides her with every last thing she needs to achieve rightness in Christ just as it is the job of Jesus to provide every last thing the church needs to achieve, to achieve rightness in Jesus. So husbands also ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his, mother and, his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reverence, reference to Christ and the church. So in other words, all the way back in Genesis 3, when God was setting up this relationship, it was a pointing to the relationship that would exist between Christ and the church. It's always been about that. The man was always supposed to be willing to die for his wife and submit everything into nurturing and cherishing her. It's always been that way because that's the way Jesus is to the church. And the woman was always supposed to submit everything into the relationship and give 100% and, and if necessary submit even when she doesn't agree and all of that because that's what the church does with Christ. You're not doing it for you. Truth is, you're doing it for evangelism and for a witness and so people can be saved and so people can go to heaven and so we can all be at the wedding feast when we die. That's the purpose of it. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with, with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, and he wants to be clear that he didn't just you know, kind of undo what he just said. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife even as himself. And the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. One can learn a great deal about God and his intended relationship with his church by experiencing marriage. That's a fact. The way God treats the faithful church speaks to how man should treat his wife. The woman must come to a place where Jesus is head of her and her husband is with her under God if the original image is going to be as close to reborn as possible. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. We've got two, two references left, and then we're done. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. You husbands, in the same way, love your wives in an understanding way. You husbands, in the same way, love, live with your wives in an understanding way. As with someone weaker. Now, I want to be really clear. He didn't say, because she's someone weaker. Actually, the word helpmate that's in Genesis chapter three or chapter two there 
can only be used for someone that is equal or superior. And so we don't have wives that are less than us. We have wives that are equal or superior to us. But it says, nonetheless, Peter says, nonetheless, that we are to live with them as if they were someone weaker, since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. Men, you wonder sometimes, well, you don't get what you pray for, how have you treated your wife? This is just an example of what is at stake when the relationship is not quite right. Then I heard something like, okay, I'm going to read Revelation 19, 6 through 9. It's the last reference. Revelation 19, 6 through 9. Now, this is a picture of that moment of the wedding feast that Genesis 2 was pointing toward, that Numbers was pointing toward, that Malachi was pointing toward, that all the New Testament scripture that we read was pointing toward. This is a picture of it. It's a small picture, a snippet of it. You can go read the whole thing later. Then I heard something like the voice of a great multitude. Revelation 19, 6. Then I heard something like the voice of a great multitude and like the sound of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to Him. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are true words of God. This is the end outcome then, as we desire it pictured. Let God declare us wed. Let God use our marriage as a picture of the wedding of his church and Jesus. It's not for everyone, but for Christians to not seek out and live in marriage like this is to tempt yourself and to take away the best opportunity you have to know what the union between Christ and his church is like. I'm not making it up. You saw it. This is your best shot to learn what that is like. Remember, they were literally of each other. That's the image that we've lost. They were literally of each other. God's word is calling us to surrender our rights inside a marriage relationship, to become more concerned about the other person and about God's call to represent him, for us to represent him, and in our relationships to represent him, that we have to give up our own wants and needs. Years ago, a critic of Mark Twain, Mark Twain was a famous author and satirist, and you probably know who he was, declared that Mark Twain's most effective writing centered around the glory and love of marriage. Twain once imagined Adam standing at the graveside of Eve, reflecting on their sins, on their accomplishments and their joys. Finally, after a long time, Adam says, where she was... There was Eden. You have to redefine your life as included and wrapped up in your wife or husband. You have to see that after God, there is no life without or outside this person. When it's true, then you are married in the sense that God plans. They were unashamed. They were unashamed. When you surrender to one another... 
when you know that no matter what happens, that the other person is for you and for God most of all, then you'll not have to worry about being ashamed. There's a movie that I like a lot that talks about marriage fireproof and about three quarters or so away through that movie, the young man goes back to his dad who's asked him to do the love dare on his wife. And it's been 20 days and he's done all of these things to show love to his wife or he thought to show care for her. And uh, he says to his dad, she is so disrespectful. She doesn't appreciate everything I've done. And he's railing on her and saying how he's done everything. He's gone out of his way, candlelight dinner, everything. And she just never said thank you. Said so she spit in my face while he's talking. His dad is walking slowly around the little clearing where they're at until he comes to lean against a cross. And he said, the young man says, how can I love her every day? And she spits on what I'm trying to do and she denies me and she doesn't do what I want her to do and she's not becoming the person I want her to be. How can I love her every day when that's happening? And his dad just leans on the cross and he says, that's an interesting question, son. And his eyes slowly drift up to the cross. And he says, dad, that's not what this is. That's not what I'm doing. It is exactly what this is. God gave us, and if I could say it this way, God gave us male and female because only in that way you say, He says, let us make man in our image. Let us make man male and female. God gave us that because in that perfect union, and I understand that there are some for which it will not be, and some folks fall into another category, but nonetheless, they need to understand that God gave us this union because properly done, it is the best way to understand the union between Christ and the church, to understand what God is sacrificing. You look at your spouse, you look at your significant other, or you look at your boyfriend or girlfriend, and you say, I just don't understand them, of course. And you don't really mean you don't understand them. You mean that there's so much about them that is unknown, and you can't get them to do what you want them to do, and so on. And I tell you that the same frustration you feel about your spouse on certain days, that is the same frustration that God feels about you. And you say, I have given everything. No, God has given everything. And you're still frustrating Him. That's when we begin to learn. That's when we begin to understand. That's when we can see the picture of the love that Christ has for us. How can you keep loving somebody every day when they keep denying you? And you have to decide after God to make your life about that person even when they are unlovable. Even when they are the hardest to understand. When you completely surrender to one another like that, when you know that no matter what happens that that other person is for you and for God, most of all, with all their idiosyncrasies, with all their mistakes, with all their stupid decisions, but you know that they are for God and for you most of all, then you will not have to worry about being ashamed. Then you'll be able to live in a way that says, you know what, after they berate me at work, after the worst day, after they throw rotten tomatoes at me, after the bills come and I can't pay them, I'll still go home and be with my wife. They don't have that. Or I'll still go home and be with my husband. They can't touch that because that person is for God and for me. And that's the way the church ought to be. But I say, you know what, if they, if they beat us and they stone us and they throw us under cars, if they outlaw our worship, if they take away our rights, at the end of the day, I'll still be with Jesus. It's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego saying, 
God is able to save us from this fiery furnace, but if He does not, we still will not bow. That's where there's... No, I mean, you know that. You feel that in your spirit when you hear them say that in that verse. When they say, we will not bow no matter what. This is the attitude of the martyrs. Because they understand what? Because they understand marriage? No. Because they understand one teaching? Perhaps if it's just one teaching, the teaching of the wedding feast. Because they understand that if you kill them, even in death, you cannot take from them the relationship they have with Jesus. And they will be at the wedding feast. Their murderers may not. But they will be there. And we want to be there, don't we? And if we want to be there, then we want to know everything we possibly can about being there. And we need to take a long look. And if you're never married, you still need to take a long look about the things that marriage... You know, I submit to you, if you're in this room and you're not married, before the end of the week, you need to go get a Christian book about marriage and read it to learn what the marriage between Jesus Christ and the church will be like. And if you're thinking about marriage... Are you thinking about if you're dating, some of the teenagers are dating and things like that, you need to be taking a long look about whether or not the relationship you have with that person ultimately, if it's just for fun, that's one thing, but otherwise you need to be taking a long relationship look at whether or not the relationship you have with that person could ever embody the relationship between Jesus and the church. And if it can't, you've got nothing to do with it. You just say, I'm done. You say, well, we're having lots of fun. I don't, I mean, I'll have lots of fun at the wedding feast. I don't need it right this second. You know, I'll be all right. You want to be unashamed. That's how you do it. And lastly, they were free and in relationship with God. They were free and in relationship with God. The kind of relationship that we are now called to under God gives us the chance to be free again. We will still be affected by some worldly events in history, but we can truly be free. We can get away from worldly influences that push us towards certain choices and choose ourselves with God's guidance and help what is best for us and for our spouse. That's a distinct possibility. Now marriage has changed some over the years. When I first got married, I remember thinking I just didn't want to live another day without my, that time she wasn't even my fiance, without my girlfriend. We weren't Christians and we were living together. We were living in our house over on Western Avenue in South. It's now a daycare. Which is kind of ironic when you think about it. But anyway, I woke up in the morning. I was laying in the waterbed. We had a waterbed at that time. and She was gone. And I didn't remember what her schedule was. And she was gone. And Alicia was gone too. She had taken Alicia with her to the, go to the babysitter and then go to work. And I remember having this thought. That's what it'll feel like when our relationship is over. I'll wake up each day and she'll be gone. And Alicia won't be there either. And I remember thinking, I don't want that to be the way it is. And so I began immediately to pursue marrying her. And for a long time in my young married, li young married life, I thought that that was the right reason to get married. It was when one decided that it was true that you couldn't live without that person. For a long time, even after I became a Christian, I thought that. But somewhere along the way, I've learned that God intends so much more than that. I'm not giving up my liberty to avoid the risk of losing what I desperately want in another human. I've given up nothing. People think they get married and give up some measure of freedom. But no, oh no. 
No, the truth is that marriage in the Lord is a road to great freedoms that can be known no other way. Roland Bainton was a professor of divinity at Yale. He passed away back in uh, 1984. He was 89 years old. In his book, What Christianity Says About Sex, Love, and Marriage, he reminds us that there have essentially been over the history of time three views of marriage. First, the sacramental. It was something that a priest does and bestows upon a man and a woman so they can go and make babies and stuff. This was elaborated by the early church. And then again, in the Middle Ages, it came up. It was called the bedrock of society and things like that. Then there was the romantic concept, which developed outside of marriage in the courts of love in the 11th and 12th centuries. And the view of marriage as companionship, convenience, and refinement of sex. This eminent scholar concluded by saying that the sacramental, romantic, and compatible concepts of marriage can be combined in a union which commences or begins in mutual love and loyalty to God and continues in fidelity. That means like faithfulness and common witness where you're teaching anyone who will listen the truth. The human soul knows a marriage exists that is not just the combination of these three views. It's not just about what the priest says is okay or... It's not just about love and the romantic concept and candlelight dinners and small gifts and holding hands in a walk in the park. It's not just about compatibility and convenience and maybe having babies. <coughs> it's about something so much more. The human soul knows that a marriage like that exists, even though we can't see it necessarily. More is available than combining all those three things or anyone else's picture of what marriage is like because God gave us the image of what marriage is like. It was that they were recognizing first and foremost that God made them. Secondly, it was because they were literally of each other. Thirdly, it was because they were unashamed. And fourthly, it was because they were free and in a relationship with God. And whether or not you're married understanding that that is the way that man and women were created. You need to live your life accordingly. It ought to be more important to you to show up at the wedding feast than to enjoy anything about this life. Because if the enjoyment that you get now is for hours, it will not compare with the enjoyment you may get then, which will be for an eternity. What are you trading and if you are married, then an image has been given and our job is to recapture it to the best of our ability so that people can see what the image between Jesus Christ and the church is going to be like. People say, I don't know what it will be like then. Well, I can tell you what it will be like. It will be people who recognize that God created them. It will be people who are literally of one another. It will be people who have no shame and people who are free and in a relationship with God. I don't know exactly what that's going to look like, but that is going to be there. And if you aren't willing to invest something, everything, then when that time comes, you will not be there. Take up your cross daily, deny yourself and follow after him. That's what it means. And the fact is, you can't do it just to be there. You have to do it because 
He calls you. He says, all that come to him, he called them. And then you just answer. Just recognize that he loves you that way. He's been loving you every day. And if you're, not, and if you're thinking about getting married, make sure your marriage is something like this before you ever get started. Make sure that's your intention. Because it can end. And for those in this room who have been divorced, I'll tell you, that ending is painful. It's difficult. It hurts. What approaches that ending is painful. It's difficult. It hurts. And actually, it makes it a lot more difficult to walk in Christ during that time. And your heart is being ripped in two. So wherever you're at today, please take these teachings about the love that Jesus has for you, the sacrifices that He has made and is willing to make for you, and know that your daily life needs to reflect what you know about that. Are you here today and you would say, I have not given my life over to the Lord Jesus Christ. I have not decided to be one with Him. I'd be okay with it if He came and was one with me. I'm not worried about that. That would be fine. But I don't want to live my life as if He is in charge or in control. I'm asking you to change your mind right now. Repent and change your mind right now. That's what it means. I'm asking you to think differently about everything from now on. That's what it means to be born again. The beauty of it is God offers it, He promises it, and He never fails to deliver. So if you're sitting here and you say, I've not given my life to the Lord Jesus Christ, I've not let God be in charge of my life, then right now, not out loud necessarily even, but just right now, right where you are, you can make that decision, and you should. Because their wedding feast is at stake, eternity is at stake, your soul is at stake. And then in a moment, just less than 60 seconds from now, we're going to sing a song. When we sing that song, you're going to walk forward from where you are and publicly make a decision and say, I get it, and I'm going to let Jesus be in charge from now on. I realize my life has not honored Him. I realize I've made mistakes. And I'm accepting Jesus as my leader. If you're here today and you say you are a follower of Lord Jesus Christ, and, and this message has brought to mind something that you've not been doing that you should do, you've not honored God with, then I, then I ask you to repent and turn to God now for forgiveness, which is available to you because of what Jesus did. Ask the praise team to come forward at this time. We're going to have a song of invitation. This will be our closing song for this portion of our service, but this is your opportunity to respond. If you're comfortable and able to do so, would you stand where you are? If you need to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, or you just did in those moments, then you come forward and share with me right now what you've done, and we'll share with the group. If you need to repent of sin, and you know that you need to make that public, then you come forward and say, I, I have repented of sin, and I've turned myself back over to Jesus just now. If that would be you. As we sing this song, you respond however the Lord is laid in your heart. Maybe you need to be baptized. Maybe you need to join this as your church home. Maybe God has been laying some ministry on your heart. You need to get started doing that. Whatever it is, you come and make that public confession. And then we'll help you go forward.
your heart today? Father in heaven, you are an awesome God, yes. and you love us so, and we are now surrendering ourselves into your care. We accept the forgiveness, the payment that you paid, and we ask you to lead us every day. And let this decision that we make today be an anchor in our lives, that from this day forward we will be found following you in all that we are, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Put your hands down. There's someone else who would say here today, I am not a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ the way I should be. I believe. I believe in God. I believe in Jesus, that He is my Lord, and I know I've been doing things that I should not. It's not been right. And you would say, right now, I'm turning back to God and let Him make it right. I want to embrace that relationship that I have with Him fully. Is that you? And if so, would you raise your hand so I can pray for you? Anyone else? I see several hands. Anyone else? Anyone else? Father in heaven, help us. It is easy enough, it seems, in our relationship with you to be distracted by the world, and we don't blame that. To be tempted by the things that come, and we don't blame that. To our minds not to be fresh or right each day because we've not read our Bible or prayed, and we're not blaming that, Lord. We have made decisions that do not honor you. We have slipped or fallen, and then didn't get up when we should have, with your help even. And so, God, we come to you today confessing our weakness, and we're asking you, Lord, to lead us every moment of every day. Help us to see what is right. Help us to do what is right. They do the best we know how when we fall to get up again in fidelity and in faithfulness and strength to follow our God. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Okay. Thank you so much. Okay, so this is going to now conclude the part of this part of our service, but I want to share with you maybe what so far has been one of the most exciting things I have. So Kathy, would you come up here? All right. So this is my sister Kathy. She believes in the Lord Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. She's been baptized in the name of Jesus and repentance and also in uh declaration of her following the Lord Jesus, and she has come today asking to be allowed to be a member of New Heights Fellowship Baptist Church. So, if you're in favor of that, say amen. 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 All right. So that's a good start, sister. All right. So we'll, we'll pray for you in the closing, and then we're going to go ahead and close. Do you have a word real quick? Yeah, I just wanted to, it won't take long, I promise. But okay, good. You go ahead, Kathy. Um, I kind of wrote this in one of like the last five minutes, so. Okay. So it's for you or something. And, how I feel God has shown me something through this. <clears throat> God meant 
for man and woman to be together. He wanted man and woman to work together. He made marriage to be a beautiful thing. He did not want man to be alone. He gave us someone to help us when we're down. He gave us someone to stand by our side no matter what happens. God put a wife in your life for good, but we have turned it to something bad. Men now abuse women because they think women have no right and men rule over her. Women now abuse men to make sure she gets what she wants with no care of how the man feels. God did not make divorce a possibility. This is what we made as a way out because sin is too strong. Marriage is meant to last forever, not just until we can't fight no more. With sin in the world, marriage is extremely difficult. But we need to remember that God is number one, and he needed, he needs to be at the forefront of any marriage. If he is at the front, and man and woman follow him to the best of their abilities, then marriage will work. We need to fight for marriage now. Don't let divorce be an opportunity anymore. Take your wife and love her like Jesus loves. Take your husbands and love them like Jesus. If we can do this, then marriage will prevail over all. We will rise triumphant over sin. It is time to fight for marriage and not give up. Okay, we're going to pray briefly, and then we're going to, you'll have an opportunity if you really need to go to the bathroom or that kind of thing, where we're coming back together in just like four minutes um, for the rebound portion of our service. I ask you, don't go away. It really gets good from here on out. I don't know if you really, I hope you got something out of that and the Lord spoke to your heart, but um, praise God for those who really took it seriously, and I appreciate that. And then we're going to pray briefly, and then we'll dismiss just long enough to get the kids in here. And there will be music in the room, so you can come right back in. You don't have to stay out. If you want to stay in here, you don't have to get up and go anywhere. Okay? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we hear what you've said. There's much to be learned on this topic. Hard to cover in this short period of time. I pray, Lord, that we have learned and that we've grown. I pray that we take with us the work that you are doing in us into every relationship, not just talking about marriage, Lord, but every relationship that we're in. And we can love people that way. We can be unashamed of who we are. That when we can be free and have a relationship with you. I'm crazy for it. In Jesus' name. Amen. About four minutes. If you need to go and come back, you can. If not, you're welcome to hang out. We'll get the kids in here. How large is the, is the bladders? One song. I can drop you off. Jason, come sit down. No, ma'am. No trouble. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here. Hope you enjoyed yourself. Find a spot. Come on in. Find a spot. Uh,
Kids who aren't even here.
us in an opening prayer. song is a song from their original wedding service.
having come to me, signifying your desire to be formally reunited in marriage, and being, as we have verified to the best of our ability, through many hours of Bible study, I might add, and through godly wisdom that no legal, moral, or faith barriers hindered this proper union, I command you now to join your right hands and give heed to the questions I will ask you. Right to right. Yep. <coughs> Michael, in taking the woman you now hold by the right hand to be your lawful and wedded wife renewed, I require you to promise to love and to cherish her, to honor and sustain her in sickness as in health, in poverty as in wealth, in the bad that may darken your days, in the good that may light your ways, and to be true to her in all things until death alone shall part you. Do you so promise? I do. Okay, at this time, Michael has something he'd like to say as a pledge. Before we started the reconciliation progress, or before we started knowing we wanted to be back together, I made a commitment, and I shared that commitment to you, and that commitment was, if God's not in it, I don't want no part. And through <coughs> Bible study, prayer, I believe God is in this, and I want to do this, and if it wasn't for God, you wouldn't be here. And if it wasn't for God, just one act. And I promise you to do this. Build this relationship in God. Okay, Jamie. In taking the man you now hold by the right hand to be your lawful and wedded husband, I require you to promise to love and to cherish him, to honor and to sustain him in sickness as in health, in poverty as in wealth, in the bad that may darken your days, in the good that may light your ways, and to be true to him in all things until death alone shall part you. Do you so promise? And at this time, Jamie has just a couple of words to say. Then are you devoted to each other until death parts you. At this time, we would like to give the opportunity for any couples present to make a covenant before the Lord along with us. If you could man move to stand with your significant other at this time. Hold their hand, please. In taking the person you hold by the hand, will you before the Lord commit to live out the relationship that the Lord has blessed you with in order to better on honor the union between Christ and the church and to as well as possible with the Lord's help recapture the intended nature of your relationship from this day forward? Do you so promise? I do. I will. For those married couples in the room who participated in that covenant, then are you devoted to each other until death parts you. For those who are not married, who may have participated in that covenant, you are now devoted to determine what your relationship is and how it will honor the Lord going forward. Michael and Jamie, having pledged your faith in God and your love for one another, and having sealed your solemn marital vows, acting in the authority vested in me by Almighty God, and looking to heaven for divine sanction and the institution of a permanent marriage relationship between the two of you, I pronounce you husband and wife again <laughs> in the presence of God and these assembled witnesses. Therefore, let all men take care in the sight of God that this holy covenant shall ever remain sacred. At this time, Brother Tony will begin a prayer, a prayer of blessing, and then I will close the prayer.
we uh, we witness this, as we're a part of this, I ask the Lord to bless Jamie and Michael. They already have a family. The Lord help them to be the, the leaders of the family. Help Michael to, to be uh, a father to his son and even to his, not so much children, but Anna and Sierra and Connie. And Jamie over a bit, she would be there for her children. As Michael said, if God ain't in it, I don't want no part of it. Lord, that's strong words. But let that be their, their vow. Let that be our vow. As believers in Jesus Christ, if God ain't in it, we don't want no part of it. And help us to find God. Help us to find you in all that we do. And if we can't find you, Lord, then to run. So I ask you, Lord, to be with this marriage, this family, as they strive to be believers in you to set the example before each other and, and to their to their children. And help us again, Lord, as a church, to do the same, to support them, to to help them any way we can. This Lord, I just ask you to bless them so much to uh, each and every day to wake up knowing that they have someone that cares for them, that loves them, and it's not just you, it's just for it's each other. Lord, thank you again for this time. Father God, you are the God of all power. You are the God of all might and all strength. You are the God who bestows in us hope and life. You are the God who has given us faith and something that is so real it's more than faith. You are the God that gives us to each other. You are the one who asks us to commit ourselves. You are the one who asks us to carry out our commitments. You hold us accountable to our obligations. The truth is, we've failed you at times. Falling short. And yet you show up. You show up every day, loving on us every day, working in us every day, leading us, calling us back to yourself and to your ways. Your faithfulness declares your love for us. And God, we ask you to bless us as we pursue you, bless us as we live for you, and especially to bless Michael and Jamie with all the resources that you have available as they follow you and put you first in all things. Would you bless their union? They renew their commitment to you and to one another. And Lord, as much as it is able, this side of heaven, we pray that that commitment be one and the same to you and to each other. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. And all God's people said, Amen. Okay. <coughs> May the Lord God bless you and keep you, shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord God lift you up in difficult times and teach you always the meaning of the perfect union that he alone has been able to fully establish in you again today. And now you may kiss your wife. <laughs> to close our service today, we will sing Amazing Grace. My chains are gone.
four and be the church. Don't forget, don't forget there's what is it, cake and punch in the cafeteria. Go and celebrate and enjoy yummy sweets and drinks and spend a little time together.